But I'm glad you were able to come out tonight. So we welcome you to another night of discipleship training, experiencing God, knowing and doing the will of God. So let's begin to have a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person here tonight. Thank you for a great day today, Lord. We had a good, a good day this morning, Bible fellowship and then worship. And I lift Drew up to you in prayer, and I pray that you would help him, Father, and his family as they draw closer to you. Father, I pray that you'll use him in school or wherever he may be to be a witness for you. And Father, I thank you for, again for each person here tonight. Uh, we've, uh, we've had a, a good day in Bible study and worship. Now we've come together to, uh, to study about you and about how we can know your will and for our lives. And So help us, we pray, Lord, to be able to draw closer to you on a daily basis. Thank you for this time together, and we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I hope you've had a good week in regards to, to studying and uh, experiencing God, knowing and doing the will of God. And so uh, this is going to be real informal tonight. And what I want to do is go back and we'll look at uh, Unit 2, looking to God, and that's... Uh, that's what you had last week in regards to your, uh, your study. And so before we dive into that unit, um, how do we have any volunteers? Do we have a volunteer, just a volunteer, nobody in here but us? Uh, do you have, would somebody just kind of take a stab at um, maybe um, uh, thinking of our seven realities, about those seven realities and experiencing God. Uh, anybody want to just stand up and say, number one is this, number two is this, as far as I know. That would be okay if you can say that. What do you think? Anybody? What's first stage? What's first reality? Anybody? God is at work. God is at work. Okay, that's the first reality. What's number two? He's always doing what? Building a love relationship with us. He continues to build that love relationship. Then number three is what? He invites us to be a part. So when we see God working somewhere, that's an invitation uh, for us to be a part of, of what he's doing. And uh, number four. What's that? God speaks. Now, how does he speak? What are some ways he speaks? There's about four. Bible, prayer, speaks us through, through, the, through the Word, through prayer, through circumstances, and what else? The church, okay? Now, how does that work, the church? How do you think that works? You remember? Yeah, that's true. And then, too, you've got to remember the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within each person of the body of Christ. And so if you have a fellow brothers, brother and sister comes up and they begin to, to share with you and all of a sudden um, they're sharing some things and you're thinking, I'm not believing this, but this, was what, you know, this is what I've been praying about. Don't think that strange if that should happen because God uses our fellow brothers and sisters in church to help us to, to uh, discover his will and to experience his will, I should say. Okay, he speaks to us through, and then what happens after he speaks to us? 
crisis of belief. Always have a crisis of belief. I've been there, and I'm sure you have too. And then that crisis belief causes us uh, to, to think about where we are, what we need to be doing, and hopefully it leads us to, to step out in faith. It always leads uh, to, to make an adjustment and step out in faith and action. And when we step out in faith and action, obey God, then we'll experience God in a, in a new and different way in our life. Now, in the back of your book is that chart. You know where it is. You found it, and one piece of that is perforated. Now, you can go ahead and fold that, tear that out, and that has those seven realities, and you kind of use that as a bookmark or stick it in your Bible and from time to time, glance down. And before we're finished uh, with our course of study, you'll be able to just, hey, God is at work with us. He's building a relationship. He's inviting us to work with him, and you'll be able just to list all seven of those. Then you'll be able, most importantly, you'll be able to see that happening in your life. You'll see where God is working. You probably, you know, we'll have some testimonies after a while. You probably noticed someplace this week that God was working in your life. That was an invitation for you to, to be a part of that. And so you can, you can see this happening in your own life. And so... I wanted us to look at those seven rea uh, realities. So if you would, just keep your little bookmark and from time to time, look down. And as we work through it in our course of study, course, uh, uh, of course, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll be learning it that way too. Well, let's look back to day one. And uh, uh, as far as unit two, look into God. Uh, and we'll look at unit two. I mean, uh, unit, unit two, day one, and uh, God-centered living. Now, I want to call your attention. Uh, you've already looked over this this week, but I want to look over it again just for a few minutes. You have a self-centered life and a God-centered life. This is one of my favorite studies. A self-centered life. What, what's a characteristic of a self-centered life? Anyone? What I want. Thinking about myself. It's all about me, it's what I want, it's what I need to do, it's where I need to go. And so self-centered is thinking about me, it's thinking about uh, uh, constantly focused on self. Uh, we just have uh, confidence in self. You know, I believe I can make the best decision, and uh, you know, I don't need to consult God about this. And so it's a self-centered life. And then the God-centered life is what? Putting God first. Putting God first, uh, putting my faith in God, focused on God, choosing the thing, uh, things of God over the things of the world or maybe over the things that I want. There on page 32, self-centered life, focused on self, God-centered, place confidence in God. Self-centered, proud of self and self's accomplishment. God-centered, depends on God and His ability and provision. Self-centered, self-confident. God-centered, focused on God and his activity. Self, depends on self and abilities. God-centered, humbled before God. Affirms self, denies self. Seeks to be acceptable to the world and to its ways. Seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Looks at circumstances from a human perspective. Seeks God's perspective in, perspective in every circumstance chooses selfish and worldly living, chooses holy and godly living, 
So throughout the day, we're functioning in a God-centered life or we're functioning in a self-centered life. So we need to, we need to in the morning when we pray, during our prayer time in the day, Lord, help me to stay, help me to stay God-centered in my living. So God-centered, a daily death to self and a daily submissive submission to God. Uh, on page uh, 34, let's look at that just for a moment. On the statements down at the end of the day, first of all, what's the most meaningful statement that you had on, on uh, the first day of Unit 2? What, anybody put anything down? I hope you did. Most meaningful statement or scripture? Speak up where we can hear. Okay, so that was the most meaningful statement. How did you verbalize that into a prayer response, Carolyn? Amen, that's good. And then the third is, what does God want you to do? Yeah, okay. Basically, that's what I put. I said, submit ourselves to God. Then I put still on number, I put second. I put, what, uh, wait until God shows us where he, what he's doing and then join God in his work and in the prayer. God, help me to be aware of what, of what you're doing and join you and don't dream up something to do for God. That was an important statement, I thought. Don't just sit around and think, I'll do this for God. When it's done dreaming up something for God, see where God's working. And he's already working around you. And then what does God want you to do? I said, look where he's working. Okay? And so uh, uh, this statement caught my eye. God never asked people to draw up something to do for him. Now, I'm guilty of having done that. You know, I think I'll do this for the Lord. And I'm really not paying attention when I do that. I'm not paying attention where God may be working around me. Do we sit and draw up something to do for God and then call on God to help us? Yeah, we, we do. We do that occasionally. I've done that in the past. And so a lot, oftentimes we'll think of something to do and then we'll ask God to bless it. You know, God, we're fixing to do this and so we just want you to bless it and bring it about and... We'll give you the honor and glory and praise for that. And God may have something else for us to do. So, watch and see where God's working and join him. If you would, look at uh, day two there. Day two. God's plans versus our plans. Okay? True or false? We're servants and we adjust our lives to what? He is about to do. Is that true? Yeah. We're servants of God. No, never forget that. We're servants of God. And so we need to remember we're servants of God. And we need to adjust our lives and what he's doing. And join him in that work. Okay? Um, if you would, describe how God works. I believe this would be um, uh, God is at work in our lives. He's at work in our lives. He invites us to join him in his work. Then we'll adjust our lives to him. That's how he works. He's at work. We recognize him working. 
That's an invitation to join him, but we have to make some adjustments in our own personal lives to do that. Look, if you will, uh, on page 36, the circle, it says four. Answer the following questions. And the first is A, I just mentioned that. God is at work in our lives. He calls on us to join him, and then we adjust our lives <clears throat> accordingly. Uh, what was God's, uh, you remember God's twofold message uh, to the prophets? His twofold message to the prophets. What did, he, what did he tell the prophets? Return to me. And the second thing was what? If you don't, judgment's coming. Okay? Return to me. If you don't, well, then judgment's going to come. Let's look at, and it'll be on your screen. I think Kyle has Psalm 81. Just a reminder. Psalm 81. We're going to look at verse 11, Kyle, through verse... Verse 16, Psalm 81, verse 11. Uh, Cal, this is the CSV version. You have that listed there? I picked up the CSV Bible, and I was going to read it. I like that. By the way, your material is a CSV version. You probably have noticed that. All right, Psalm 8, verse 11. But my people did not listen to my voice. Now, we're talking tonight about listening. We're talking about listening uh, to God. Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own plans. If only my people, verse 13, would listen to me and Israel would follow my ways, I would quickly subdue their enemies. I'd turn my hand against their foes. And those who hate the Lord will cower to them. Their doom would last forever. But he would, he would feed Israel with the best wheat. I would satisfy you with honey from the rock. I think there's a song out, Honey from the Rock. Uh, you probably have heard it. It's a good contemporary, music, uh, temp contemporary song. And so God told the prophets two things. Number one, tell the people to return to me, and then if they don't, tell them that they're going to come under my judgment. And so God takes very serious us repenting and turning to him. So that was a twofold message that he sent to the prophets. Now, God gave warning to Israel. He said, tell, tell my people to return to me. If they don't return to me, well, then I'm going to send judgment. Let me ask you this question. Is there any evidence in our day that God has brought judgment on America because we failed to return to him? Has God asked us to return to him? He has. Now, is there any evidence, since we haven't, is there any evidence of his judgment on America? What's some evidence? Number one, what do you think's happened because we've refused to turn to God? Yeah, yeah. Well, let me ask you this, and going a little, a little more, I guess, dramatic in a way to bring, uh, bring in judge. Do you think by any chance 9-11 was, a, God permitted that to happen because America had turned from him? you think that? Did God use the enemies of Israel to, to judge them, bring judgment on them? He did. 
That's another one, the COVID. You think that could be a judgment from God? To have us return? Usually when something devastating like 9-11 or COVID, you see our nation come together. We saw it more so in the 9-11 where all, you know, a lot of the politicians, Democrats and Republicans, are standing on the steps of the Capitol holding hands and singing what? God bless America. And so that they, uh, uh, they're good at singing, but really not turning to God. So you had 9-11, you had COVID, and what about right now? What we're going through right now? The inflation that we're experiencing now, all the different things with our economy that we're experiencing possibly could be judgment from God for America to turn to Him. And so... Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's true. So we're we're kind of in a mess. If if we've ever needed to turn to God, uh, we need to turn to Him now. Um, I guess look at on page thirty-eight. Page thirty-eight. Just a moment. Um, let's look at your favorite statement there for, for day, day two. What was the most meaningful statement that you put down uh, on this one? Anybody? That's right. Understanding what God's doing right now where I am or what he wants to do is more important than telling God uh, what I want to do for him. That's on page 37. If you look 37, you'll see it on the right column. Understanding what God is about to do where you are is far more important than telling God what you want uh, to do for him. Uh, Yeah, that's good, Brother Philip. Here's one I liked in that, in that day. I said, God knows you can't do it, and he wants to do it himself through you. Remember John 15, 5, I'm the vine, he's the branches. He abides in me and I in him. The same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And God knows we can't do it, but he wants to do it through us. And so that's anybody else over on this side. Statement. It's what you it's how God spoke to you through that day. Day two. What about um, the prayer I put uh, on day two? God convict me to adjust to you where you can work through me. So, God, help me just to adjust, make my adjustments where you can use me, where you can work through me. My prayer was, uh, what does God want me in response to today's study? Be open to make any adjustments. What do we normally do when God asks us to do something? So I'm making adjustments. What do we do? Make excuses. Do what? Yeah, we complain. Yeah, I have to be careful in that. So 
when, God, when we see God working and we know he's wanting us to be a part, then we're to make some adjustments and we'll say, you know, like Moses. What did Moses do? He began to make excuses. Well, I, I'm, I have a speech impediment. I'm really not capable of going before Pharaoh. And, and uh, who, you know, the people say, who sent me? Who am I going to tell? And so he just needed to make some adjustments in his life. You cannot, you cannot stay where you are and go with God at the same time. Moses couldn't stay on the backside of the desert and go to Egypt at the same time. So you have to make those adjustments when you see God, when you see God working. Okay, look at uh, day three on God takes the initiative. God takes the initiative, page 38. I don't know, you've probably written in all the, you know, the sides of your book and the columns there. I, I really scribble a lot when I read and study. And so uh, just some things that pop out. God takes the initiative. God takes the initiative to come to his people and reveal himself, his activity. So we're not necessarily looking for God. God's looking, searching, wanting us to be a part of what he's doing. Um, so he takes the initiative. Day 3 on page 38 there on the left side. God's revelation of his activity is an initiative for you to join him. So he takes the initiative. Okay? His revelation is for us to join him. And then third, we make necessary adjustments to join him. So what naturally happens when we see God at work? What happens then? We get self-centered. We want to, we start making excuses and it's all about what we need to do and we don't have time to do it. And so we get all self-centered, although we know God's working in our midst. And he's inviting us to join him. We become self-centered and we begin to make excuses. Uh, one of the favorite parts of this day was George Muller. I think someone's mentioned to me this week. It's on the bottom of page 39. Uh, learning to walk with God. And gives, uh, uh, gives Muller as uh, an example. Uh, how did Muller seek God's direction for his life? How did he do that? If you'll notice down in that paragraph, uh, it'd be the, be the third paragraph where it says, God led Muller. See that? God led Muller. He led Muller to pray. He led Muller to pray. Muller's prayers were for God to lead him to a work that people could only explain as an act of God. Muller wanted people to learn that God was a faithful prayer answering God. He discovered Psalm 81, verse 10. When you read it in yesterday's lessons, he said, Open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. God led him to walk, a, led him in a walk of faith that became an outstanding testimony of faith to all who heard this story. So Cana and I, we were talking about this particular uh, incident with Muller, and he was just a man of faith. He trusted God. What was one thing that he felt a call to do? She read do what? Build orphanages. Okay, build orphanages. And what else? To print scripture, you know, to, to print uh, Bible lessons and to print scripture. He led him to do those two things. Did he have any money? He, he, he wasn't a wealthy man, but he, he was able 
to raise and build, he raised money and built several orphanages. But how much money? What was his net worth when he died? You remember that? 800 bucks. $800. So it wasn't, it wasn't all about him. It was about what he felt God was leading him to do. And if you look down to about the fourth paragraph, it says when Muller had need in his life, he would pray to God, he would pray to God about it, and he'd tell no one else. He wanted everyone to know that God had provided for the need and answer to prayer and faith. During his ministry in Bristol, Muller started the Scripture Knowledge Institute for Distribution of Scripture for Religious Education. He also began an orphanage, and by the time of his death, God used him to build four orphan houses that cared for 2,000 children at a time, provided for more than 10,000 children overall. Now think, didn't tell anyone, just prayed, talked to God, and God answered his prayer. He wanted people to see God doing things that only God could do. I got to thinking about that. Um, he wanted God to lead him to work that he could on, that to a work that could only be explained by the fact that it would take God to bring it about. Have you ever had anything in your life where if God didn't work, it wasn't going to happen, and then you saw God work? Anyone? Cal? Okay. Yeah, if you want to share. Yeah, sure, if you can. Cal's going to come down and share. Be thinking, what has God, what has God done in my life that if God hadn't worked, it wouldn't have come about? Now, that was Muller. This is, this is what we're talking about. God speaks to his people. God works through his people. And so, what is it that God's done in my life that he had not worked, it wouldn't have happened, okay? So, uh, bring me up on the pulpit, Mike. She's back there with the video. Um, I'll try to talk loud enough. There we go. Uh, you may have heard this story. I've shared it. It happened 18 years ago. I've shared it with some of you, but talking about how God can do something that only he can do. Uh, so uh, I've been uh, teaching for 18 years now. I'm starting my 18th year at Russell High School. It's the only place I've ever been. And so uh, 18 years ago, I was a, a senior at UNA doing my internship there at Russell High School uh, under a teacher that I currently teach next to. Uh, and so uh, if you uh, are in the field of education, you have to intern. And so I did that from January to, to May of 2005. And, of course, after the internship comes the need for a job. That's what you're looking for, right? Uh, that's, that was my, my occupation that I chose. And so I began praying that, uh, hey, God, uh, I'm going to trust you for a job. Uh, Katie and I were getting married uh, the next year. That was in 2005. We got married in 2006. And so um, there was not a shortage like there is today in the field of education. They're begging for teachers today, but that was not the case back in 2005, and so I began to pray, and I really wanted to, to work at Russell High School. I built a good relationship with the people there, but there really wasn't anything, it really wasn't looking good 
and I knew that uh, for me to have an opportunity there, it was going to be God. And so I began praying, and, and Katie and I began praying that semester. And like, God, you're going you're gonna to have to do something. You're going to have to provide, us, provide me with a job. Only you can provide. I really love to work here, but I don't know. So we rocked on, and, and um, about April of that semester, I guess you could say about April, um, one of the individuals that I split my internship up with another guy, and uh, he came to me and, and he said, hey, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to another school. And he was a, a history position. And um, he said, I'm, I'm going to another school, and, and my, my job's going to be open. But this guy was the offensive coordinator for Russell. Well, I'm no offensive coordinator by no <laughs> means. And um, really wasn't a football coach. Wasn't really interested in coaching football, but I knew I was going to have to coach stuff, but uh, didn't know anything about it. And he's like, ah, you know, I, I don't know. They'll probably bring somebody in and, you know, um, basically saying probably not going to get the job. So that was in April. Well, I still was praying. You know, God, I really, feel, and I really felt like that God was, was leading me to, to work there, but I didn't know how I was going to do it. And I just kept praying and I kept praying and I kept praying. It got closer to May, got closer to graduation. And you have 100 people coming up to you going, have you got a job yet? Have you got a job yet? You know, you get those. Where are you going to get a job? I don't know. But I knew I'd tell you. But anyway, I uh, had those people um, saying that to me. So I was praying. And so I had a guy that I worked with, James Bostick. James was Bell Green for a while and Russell. And so uh, uh, this was around, I guess it was around end of April. It was getting close to graduation. So um, James said, hey, said, um, I know the principal at Red Bay High School, and he said, um, I know him real well. I think there's a, there's a history job coming open there, and, you know, I'll put in a good word for you, and, and you know, you may want to apply there. And I told him, you know, thanks, you know, and, but in the back of my mind, I was like, man, you know, I'd really love to be here at, at Russell, and, and God, you know, I just really would love to be here. Well, um, they, the, the, the position that was, that was come open there with the offensive coordinator, they, they, brought, a, they brought him in. They, they'd hired early. So this was like the end of April. So that, I mean, there was nothing there, nothing there. But there was this opening at Red Bay High School. So around the 1st of, first of May, I'm thinking, and there was nothing, like nothing, silence. God's not opening any doors, nothing. So I thought, well... I'll go ahead and I will write, I'll send my resume to Wesley Thigpen, who was the principal, I'll never forget his name, who was the principal at Red Bay High School, and I'm going to write him a letter and I'm going to send him my resume. And uh, I was at home, I remember this. And I prayed and I said, God, if you want me to go to Red Bay, Red Bay High School, you let me know, you work in a way that only you can do, but if you want me to be at Russellville High School, you work because you're the only, you're the, you're the only way this is going to happen. There seems to be, it's impossible. And so I got an envelope. I was in my dad and mom's house, and I remember. I, I had my resume and uh, typed it up, and I got the address to Red Bay High School, and I remember writing it down. Red Bay High School, attention, Wesley Thigpen, put the address there. Put my address, put a stamp on it. This was like right, may have been right before I graduated from UNA. And went to the mailbox, put the flag up, mailed it. Two days later, 
it was two days later, I go to the mailbox, and that letter was back in the mailbox. And it said, return to sender. No joke. Return to sender. Stamped on the envelope. I looked at it, and I thought, return to sender. Hmm, it never got to Red Bay High School. Never got there. So being me and having to figure things out and thinking that I know the best and that I may have made a, I may have made a mistake, I got the address. I looked up the address again, and I'm thinking, well, maybe I got my comma wrong, or maybe I got the zip wrong, or maybe I got his name misspelled. So I got a fresh envelope, fresh stamp, I think I printed my, my resume off again, and I said, God, I'm going to send this thing off again, and if this is not what you want me to do, um, you know, I'm, I'm just going to trust you to work. It's not putting a fleece out. I, I wasn't doing that. I wasn't doing that. I was just trusting him. Hey, this is, you're, you're going to have to work. If you want me to be here, be here. You're just going to work. I'm going to take the step and do it. So I... Um, Addressed the envelope again, put the stamp on it, mailed it. And as I am standing here on September, whatever day it is today, 4th, 2022, two days later, I go back to my mailbox. The same letter again returned to sender. It never got there. Two, day, two weeks later, I got a call from Rex Mayfield at Russell High School, and he said, hey, there's going to be some things happen. You can't say anything. We're going to have some people to move, and there's going to be a slot for you opened up, teaching history right next to where you intern, and we think it's going to happen. That was in June. Last, I'd already graduated. He said, you can't say anything until July 22nd. So I had to wait all summer. People would ask me if I had a job. I'd say, well, you know, I don't know. It's getting, getting close. But that's God working in that situation. I'd never experienced anything like that in my life. And, and I know that only God could do that because it was not possible in man's eyes for me to, to move in. So what happened was they still hired the offensive coordinator, but another guy, actually James Bostick, who directed me to Red Bay, agreed to take a voluntary transfer to one of the schools, and so I got his teaching slot, and they hired an offensive coordinator coach. So what I'm saying is God moves, and he works, and he does things, and things that are not possible are impossible to us, but are all possible to him. And so that's why I'm where I am today, and he's continuing to lead and he's continuing to work and some other things. But uh, that's an that's a, that's a, a important part of my life to really see that God can do things um, when nobody else, including me, <laughs> thinks he can. But he proved that that day. So anyway. All right. Well, that's God working, doing things. Unless God does it, it's not going to happen. You ever had an experience like that? Anybody else? I remember 
uh, and I probably, some of you may remember me sharing this during the tornado time, but uh, we were getting things ready here at the church or trying to get the excavating done, and we had a power pole with transformers right on this corner of where the pad was going to be, and um, we needed that power pole moved. And so uh, I called Alabama Power, and it just so happened that um, that a tornado had, had gone through uh, uh, right above, uh, well, Tuscaloosa, went, went through like the south side of Birmingham, went up through that way, and they had all their bucket trucks up there. And uh, he said that the guy told me it'd be about a month before they could get here to move that power pole, that they had all kinds of poles down, wired down. It's going to be at least three weeks, he said, to a month. I said, man, we, we've got to have this building. We've got to have a foundation. We had to have the foundation poured uh, April, uh, first of April. We had volunteers coming in, and uh, you know what it does in January, February, March. It just rains all the time. But there was, a, there was like a six-week drought where it never rained for six weeks, and we were able to get that excavating done. But there's that power pole. And uh, this wasn't long after we voted to build in, in December. It was like, it was like in February, and it, we, were, we were really pushing it. And so I had a church in Birmingham to call me to see if I would come down there at, at a banquet and speak to their volunteers to see if they would come up here and help us, just kind of encourage, see as many as we could get. And I didn't have the time. They wanted me to come on Friday, and come Friday night, spend a night, speak at a banquet uh, Saturday night, stay over and speak with two Sunday school classes the next day. And I told Judy, I said, I just can't do it. I don't, I just can't do it. And uh, she said, well, they want you to get, try to get volunteers to come. And I says, well, I'll come on, uh, I'll come on Saturday and I'll stay Saturday night, speak to the banquet, speak to Sunday school classes on Sunday, and so I agreed to do that, called, and we stayed in someone's home. I forgot who it was. But anyway, I went and spoke at the banquet, and I told him, I said, I'd like for you to pray about something at the banquet. I said, pray, we have a power pole that we have to move in order we can finish our excavating and get the pad built. Pray that we can get that power pole moved. And so the next day was Sunday. I didn't speak at the service. They had other uh, had missionaries to speak that day, and then but I did speak that morning a Sunday school class, two Sunday school class, and there was a young adult class had about forty in there, big big large sized church, and so I shared, encouraged them to come and help, and then I shared that prayer request, and then I went to a senior adult class at another Sunday school time. And they had 25, 30 senior adults in there. And I shared the same prayer request. And at the end, I said, please pray this for this prayer request. And uh, I told them about that power pole. And someone spoke up in the back and said, um, said that power pole is good as moved. And everybody laughed. And I thought it was an inside joke, so I laughed with them, you know. And so after everybody was clearing the room, uh, the teacher came up and he said, you know that guy? And I said, I, I don't know him. I, well, I met him when I got there, you know. And he said, you know who he is? And I said, no, I don't know who he is. And he said, well, he, he's the manager of uh, 
the section of Alabama Power that puts power poles all over the state of Alabama. And I said, really? He said, yeah. The next morning, I came to church about 9 o'clock, and they had just finished moving that power pole. Bucket truck was here. Power pole was moved. They'd reset another pole for us. And only God could have worked that out. But if I'd not gone to Birmingham, if I'd not listened to God and my wife, uh, I don't, we'd still be waiting on a bucket truck, I guess. But, there's, but God was working in all of that. And he allowed me to join him. Reluctantly, I joined in on that. But God blessed. And unless God had worked, we wouldn't have had that, we wouldn't have had that power pole moved. So that's an example of God doing something that we couldn't do. Brother Terry, do you have something? So Terry's put, next time you go toward Russellville up there at 43 uh, intersection, Highway 5, at the raceway, if you'll notice to the right there at the intersection, Terry's got a project that he's putting up a prayer cross, and the cross is up, and he's still working on doing some other things. But, but God's at work, and he can do things that we could never do by ourselves alone. So uh, just pay attention about where God is working. Look on day look on day four for just a moment. And that had to do with Muller and the faith that Muller had uh, with God. On day four, God speaks to his people. How did he speak in times past? He said he spoke by what? Prophets. And later on, his son Jesus. So he spoke to prophets in the last days his son. So how does he speak to us today? Well, we talked about he speaks to us through his Holy Spirit, by, by his word, by prayer, by circumstances, and by, uh, by the church, by the people of God. So he still speaks today, but just he doesn't speak with prophets or through prophets, but he speaks through other ways. Is the key of, what is the key? Is, let me say this, is the key of knowing the voice of God, is that a formula that we go by? How do we know the voice of God? What's that dependent on? Knowing God. Knowing, hearing the voice of God is based on your relationship with God. If you don't have an active relationship with God, you shouldn't expect to hear from God. Okay? So knowing God doesn't come from a special formula or anything like that. It comes from a, from a daily relationship with God. And God still speaks through his Holy Spirit, through the word, through prayer, through circumstances, through people. That's how he speaks. Okay? So knowing God, uh, knowing God's voice comes from a love relationship. And, and that's why those who do not hear God, oftentimes it's because uh, they don't have that relationship. Okay? Look, if you will, on the review questions at the end. And there's a lot of good stuff in there, but we'll go on for just a moment. What was the most meaningful statement in that day for you? Anyone? The, what now? God's not changed. He still speaks to his people. He speaks to those who will listen, 
Okay, he still speaks to his people. Okay, um, let me see. Look, if you will, on uh, day, God speaks with a purpose there on, uh, on five. And, and this, was, this was real good about God's character. God develops character to match the assignment. That really spoke to me. Uh, God develops the character. Why did he wait 25 years before he sent Abraham out? He's developing his character. He's working with him. He's developing his character. He's, you know, he's, when, when God, uh, uh, God's not just simply meeting with us for a devotional time or something like that. He does. He, he speaks to us during our, through our devotional time. But he's always wanting to accomplish something when he speaks to his people. He's wanting to use us some way when he speaks to us. So when God speaks to you, he wants you to respond to him. Uh, we don't have to wait, you know, we... Oftentimes we think God's trying to hide his will from us. And we'll say, well, I wish I knew God's will. I wish I, wish I knew his will. Well, his will may be pretty plain, but at the same time, oftentimes God don't reveal it because he knows that we've already decided not to do what he asked. And so we have an issue there at times. So the moment God speaks to you, that's God's timing. He speaks in his, to his servants when he's ready to move. He's ready to move out, and so uh, uh, we need to be need to be prepared to listen. Um, this statement really, really caught my attention. The quality of the Father's will affects the quality of family for generations to come. The quality of the Father. That quality that God's building in that in the Father really affects the quality of the family for generations to come. What problem do we have in our nation today? A problem with fathers. We have a lot of families that have no fathers present, and that that affects generations to come. Where are the fathers today? So God develops character to match the assignment. And so uh, uh, just remember, as fathers, we have a uh, special purpose. And God wants to use us in the family. And so we're not, we don't have quality fathers in the home, or that's going to affect families generations down the road. If you would, look at this. Uh, look on page 49, and then we'll close out with this little video. And you can take some video notes there. Your notes, you've got some teacher notes already. So, uh, Kyle, if you'll show us this little video segment, Look Into God, we'll close out with it.
I remember when a mysterious package showed up on our doorstep. And my wife and I went and looked and uh, there was a package that was just wrapped up in brown paper with tape all around it. And we had no idea who it had come from, where it had come from. We couldn't uh, read any, anything that was on it. It was all in a different language. The only thing we could see was that it was addressed to us. So we took this package and we began ripping all the tape and paper off. And what we found in the middle was a knife. We had no idea who this knife had come from, uh, where it had even come from. And all of a sudden we start, uh, start asking questions like, like are, are we being framed for something? <laughs> like, was this a murder weapon? Are the FBI going to kick down our door and find the murder weapon at our house? And, and so we're talking about this and, and my wife calls her father and starts saying this mysterious knife showed up on our doorstep. We have no idea where it's from. And, and uh, her mom overhears the conversation and, and says, I sent that knife. Uh, you had mentioned that you didn't have a good kitchen knife, and so this one is great. They actually mailed it straight from Taiwan. And it's this great knife, and I sent it to you because I love you guys. Well, all of a sudden, things made a little bit more sense. You know, when we started with the knife, we had to fill in the details of what we didn't know about the rest of the story. But when we started with the sender, all of a sudden that knife made sense. It was a gift for a purpose sent by somebody who loved us. Now, you can't understand a story if you start right in the middle. Our tendency is to start our story with ourselves. But the Bible never starts with us. The Bible starts with God. Genesis 1 chapter 1 says, in the beginning, God. John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What we see in Scripture is that uh, the story of creation starts with God. And so if we start our story with ourselves, we're starting uh, not at the beginning. And we'll never understand our story if we start in the middle. There's something within us that longs to know what is beyond us. Uh, Blaise Pascal once said that there's this God-shaped void within us. There's something within us that longs to know what is out there beyond us in order to understand ourselves. And there's a great passage in Exodus chapter 3 where Moses is in the middle of the desert uh, and he's, he's off with his flock and all of a sudden he sees a burning bush and he turns aside to go and see what's going on with this burning bush. And when he does, he encounters God. And God tells him that he is the God of his ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's telling Moses, I've been around for a long time. I predate you, Moses. I was the God of your fathers uh, and their fathers and their fathers before them. And when he gives Moses the assignment to go back to Egypt, Moses says, well, who will I tell them sent me? Essentially, he's asking, who are you, God? And God says, I am who I am. He doesn't allow Moses to define who he is. He defines himself for Moses. He says, I am who I am. You can't compare me to other things. Uh, I am. I have always existed. I am the starting point of the story. And everything else makes sense in relation to me. And from that point, it changes everything for Moses. Moses understood himself as a fugitive uh, from Egypt, now as a shepherd on the backside of the desert. But when he encountered God, and began to realize, if I start my story with me, I start in the middle. If I start my story with God, 
everything changes. I'm part of a bigger story. And God would send him on a mission. He would invite him to become involved with what he was doing. He would tell Moses, this is what I'm doing, and I'm going to send you to be a part of that. And Moses' life is never the same again. You know what Moses struggles with? The same thing we all struggle with. When he starts with himself, he gets hung up on all of his inadequacies. And he has all these excuses and questions for God, um, all these reasons why he can't do what God is calling him to do. That's what happens when we start our story with ourselves. When we turn our eyes to ourselves, we see all of our flaws, all of the reasons why we can't. But when we start with God, all of a sudden we open ourselves up to his power. All of a sudden it's not a question of what we can do, it's a question of what he can do. All of a sudden it's not what is God's will for my life, but it starts with what is God's will? Who is God? What is his will? And from that place, we come to figure out the part we play in that bigger story. I remember when I was 18, I had just graduated from high school. I had no idea what I was going to do with the rest of my life. I had a few ideas of what I didn't want to do with my life. And one of those big ones was I didn't want to be a pastor. I had nothing against pastors. My dad was a pastor. His dad was a pastor. Uh, I, I had a respect for it, but that was not me. I was terrified to speak in front of people, and there was a whole lot of other reasons why I figured this is, this is not what I'm going to do, and so I didn't know what I was going to do. So I took a year at a Bible college right there in our local town, and uh, just, to, just to really buy another year of time to figure out uh, what direction am I going with my life. Well, the first, uh, one of the first weeks of that Bible college, they had uh, what they called Spiritual Emphasis Week. And it was a week where they brought in a speaker and we had chapel every day for that whole week. Well, I was pretty busy at the time. I was working part-time. I wasn't feeling all that great as well. My health wasn't, wasn't good. And so I skipped the first three uh, chapels. Now, my dad happened to be the president of that seminary, so probably not the best to, to be one who's skipping chapel when your dad's the president, but you know, I thought I could uh, get away with it. So I skipped the first three, uh, would go home, take a nap, just uh, trying, to, uh, trying to navigate all the busyness of my life at the time. But then that Thursday came up and I was about to skip like I had always done. And I made it all the way to the door and I was about halfway out the door into the parking lot where something within me just stopped me. And I can't really explain it other than I just felt like I have to stay for this chapel, even though I haven't stayed for any of the other ones. And so uh, I turn around, I go back in, I, I file in in the back row, and I made the mistake of not sitting on the very end of the row. Uh, I sat a little bit in, and this uh, beautiful older lady comes in with her walker and sits on the end of the row and traps me in. I'm like, I'm not gonna ask her to get up and leave, and so I settle in for, for chapel. Well, the speaker that day talks about the Israelites crossing the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 14, where you've got the Egyptian army coming behind them, you've got the Red Sea out in front of them, and they're trapped. They need a miracle. And they cry out to Moses, and Moses cries out to God. And God says to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the children of Israel to move forward. And when they do, the sea splits and one of the greatest miracles ever recorded uh, takes place. And it says when they get on the other side of the sea, they feared God. Their faith had grown on the other side of the sea. And the chapel speaker that day said, 
God never takes us around our fears. He always takes us through them. He sets us up for a miracle. And that day I realized God was calling me into the ministry. I was just fearful. See, I was starting my story with myself. All the inadequacies, all the things I couldn't do. I wasn't starting my story with the God who can split the Red Sea. And so I found myself up at the front praying and saying, God, I surrender my life to you. Whatever ministry looks like, whatever direction you want to take me, I'm going to go where you lead. Well, the next day I came to that chapel again and uh, it was another great chapel. Uh, still wasn't feeling good though. And I realized that my mom had made me a doctor's appointment because she knew I wouldn't make my own doctor's appointment. Uh, and when I went to the doctor's appointment, uh, they tested my blood sugar. They said, your blood sugar is off the charts. We need to get you to the emergency room. And I uh, went to the emergency room, did all a bunch of tests and got the news that I was uh, now diagnosed as a type one diabetic. And I remember I didn't get a room until about 2.30 in the morning. And uh, I'm laying there, uh, middle of the night, just the sounds uh, and the lights of the hospital machinery around me. And at that moment, I, I remembered back just 24 hours earlier where God helped me to deal with my fear. And God uh, so clearly said to me, keep your focus on me, not on your fears, not on yourself, not on your own inadequacies. Turn your eyes towards me and your fears will, will be taken care of because I will part the Red Sea for you. And as long as you follow me, you will see miracles in your life. And you know what? I have. And so I wanna ask you, where do you start your story? Do you start with yourself or do you start with God? So in my story, uh, I was uh, pretty nervous to, to think that God would ever call me to do uh, really a, a version of what we're doing now, yeah. <laughs> to be standing yeah. here uh, speaking uh, and, and teaching the Bible. That, that was what I was so worried about. But uh, what I think we see all throughout Scripture is that every time God comes to somebody to invite them onto his agenda, they're never ready. Like, yeah. like they're always inadequate. They always have excuses. People like Gideon and Moses and all these guys, they always tell God why they can't. Uh, and yet I love how God always sees the potential in them of what he can do. But, but oftentimes he also has to get them to that point. Yeah. They're, they're not there yet, but when God comes into their life, he's going to shape their character uh, to get them to where he wants them to be. You know, as your father, I'm just thinking of your uh, story where we discovered you had diabetes. And uh, as your father, I was so proud that you'd come to seminary. I was concerned about you in some ways. Didn't see me a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, where are you? It's chapel. There's no sun here today. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, I was with you at the doctor, the hospital, when they told you you're, you had diabetes and... Um, and as your father, I'm thinking, well, Lord, why are you doing this to my son? I mean, he's obeying you. He's in Bible college. Like, you should make the path easier. And Didn't I'm, he just come forward and, yeah, he just, he <laughs> and just, make the right decision and, and now this? <laughs> and, you know, I was uh, as a father, I'm thinking, well, I've told my son all of his life that he can trust God and that God has a plan for his life. And then all of a sudden things get worse for you. And uh, But looking back, we realized that... Um, you know, God was preparing you and that God knew what he had in store. And so much of the time, God does his best work through our trials and not through uh, just ease. 
And I think that's why, as you said, um, you, you have to start with God and you have to end with God. And if you if you give God time, he'll work it out. And you'll look back and you realize God was in charge and in control the whole time. I remember, Mike, the first time that you spoke after that and you were terrified. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and we had the opportunity for you, me, and my dad to all speak at a men's conference in Toronto. Yeah, three generations. Yeah, and it was awesome. The first time three generations of black could be all speaking at the conference. My dad was the big name. I was the middle-sized name, and you were the no-name. <laughs> I was the only one not wearing a tie. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember that conference. You were so nervous. And, and Dad spoke the first night. I spoke the next day. There's some big shoes to fill. Uh, yeah, you're following Henry Blackaby. And that Saturday evening, it was just you. And it was your first time to speak. And you're all nervous. And we're trying to you know, calm you down and everything. And I'll never forget that night, you start speaking and you're only 17, 18 years old or so, and you're, you're still a kid, you're still a teenager, and you start speaking and God just moved that night. I'll never forget watching my son preaching his first sermon at an event that he'd been invited to. And about three quarters of the way through the sermon, all of a sudden a man gets up and he just starts walking toward the front. I thought he was going to leave. <laughs> I was like, man, this is worse than I thought. <laughs> and then, uh, but he keeps going to, toward the front and, he, and he's walking toward like where you are. And I can see the nervous look on your face. Like, is he gonna come up and give me a rebuttal? Or? I defend this guy? Uh, and, uh, and I remember uh, when he gets right to the front, he falls to his knees and he just starts to pray. And all of a sudden, men start coming forward all over that auditorium and the whole front fills up with people praying. And I remember you looking back at me, like with this look as you're talking, like, Dad, what do I do? Like, I've not done my sermon yet. And I remember, for this. I remember just saying, just, I, I, I motioned to you, just, just, just pray, invite everybody to come. And so you just said, I'm gonna stop, you can come. And the whole, all, all the chairs just emptied and all these men came. And I'll never forget the next morning, we're having breakfast before the final session. And I'm sitting between my dad on one side, you on the other side. And uh, I get finished uh, eating and I look to my dad. I said, hey, why don't we go and, um, and, and let's go, go get our teeth brushed before the session this morning. He thought that was a good idea. So I turned to tell you that. And there's like six men all waiting in line to talk to you about what you'd said the night before. No one is there to talk to me or dad. That's because you guys hadn't brushed your teeth yet. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I remember then thinking, you know, I used to think it was so awesome what God did in my dad's life. He was the greatest man of God that I know. And then God also began to use my life and I felt so unworthy to follow my dad and to be a part of that ministry. And then I, I realized, well, that wasn't the end of the story. God was working in your life now, and your brother and your sister's life, and, uh, and God's work was continuing. I was just like a part of the story, just like you were. But God began a work long before us, and that work will continue long after us. We're just a part of the journey with God. And what's amazing is, it wasn't about me and my abilities, and it wasn't even about you or your dad and your abilities. Yeah. When you start with God and His power, He can take anybody bring them into his agenda, into his story, and, and showcase his power through anybody. This week, 
Uh, this coming week, we're going to look at session three, God Pursues a Love Relationship. And so let me encourage you to keep, keep working on through your, your workbook. And uh, uh, God will speak to your heart like he has already. I've talked to several of you, and you're excited about what you're learning and how God's working in your life. And we'll just continue. Well, uh, let's stand. We're going to be dismissed. Again, thank you for being here today and appreciate your faithfulness. And Hope you have a, a good week. Be praying for uh, Kayla Loden's family. Remember, funeral.